So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. Alright, let's get started. Hi guys, Midi is officially back in your ears for 2023. After a much needed summer break, we are back bigger than ever and ready to provide you with some of the best education and motherhood stories. We have some seriously incredible guests lined up for 2023, so strap yourself in because you're not going to want to miss a single episode. In some other exciting news, we have officially launched our childbirth education classes and website. So if you are looking for face-to-face, online or private classes, head to our website and book in today. But to kick off the podcast for this year, we have a four-part mini-series brought to you by our incredible sponsors, Tushies, Gaia and Milton. As part of this mini-series, I got to sit down with some of the best experts in their field, such as Dr. Golly, a paediatrician, Courtney Garland, a NICU nurse, lactation consultant and sleep consultant from Mama Link, Nicole Gleason, a paediatric emergency nurse from Rhythm First Aid, and Penny Douglas, a paediatric nurse and baby massage consultant from South Coast Baby Massage. This four-part mini-series has been designed to provide new and current parents with essential education regarding topics that all parents should be aware of, such as normal and abnormal baby's output, expressing and sterilizing, infant skin conditions, and of course, baby massage. So before we get into it, let's hear more about today's sponsor, Tushies. As a midwife, I've changed my fair share of nappies and by far my favourite brand has to be Tushies. With a strong focus on the environment, Tushies Eco Nappies are designed to provide up to 12 hours of leak-proof protection and are made with ingredients such as organic bamboo, ensuring that their products are better for not only your baby, but also the planet. Better yet, Tushies is owned and loved by an Australian family business based in Melbourne, having specialised in bringing high quality baby products to Australians for over 30 years. So get your Tushies nappies and wet wipes today to make those tricky nappy changes that little bit easier. For now, it's time to meet our first expert, Dr. Golly. Dr. Golly is a Melbourne-based paediatrician and father of three, specialising in unsettled babies and poor sleep. Dr. Golly has a real focus on empowering parents and protecting mothers. Within this episode, Dr. Golly shares his knowledge and expertise on everything to do with newborn output, including some of the most common and uncommon types of nappies. What you can expect to learn in this episode is how do I know if my baby is getting enough, output in your baby's first week of life, stool colour and what this represents, and of course, abnormal nappies and when to be concerned. Please welcome Dr. Golly. 
Hello everyone and welcome back to Midi the podcast. I am super excited today because I am chatting with one of our experts from our mini series, Dr. Golly. So Dr. Golly, there's going to be a lot of fans out there. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I'm just a humble paediatrician. <laughs> there isn't much more to me. Um, I'm a, I'm a paediatrician in Melbourne and uh, and specialise in unsettled babies, but we'll see uh, kids all the way up into their young adult life, and uh, and I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure, and I say a lot of fans out there because you're helping so many parents through you know, navigate those tougher periods in parenthood. And I think for a lot of them, you're their saving grace, especially for my nephew and my beautiful sister, Emma, who swears by all of your sleep programs. You know what? It's There aren't many doctors who go into um, this space in social media, and I think it's frowned upon a lot. And I certainly mm. was when I was training. And I just realised that this is where people are, are getting their information nowadays and so yeah. I started to look at social media especially um, Instagram and saw so much misinformation there and mm. so much, you know when you're trying to find something it's just you can find any answer which is really confusing and so what I'm trying to do is just to put the truth out there put a bit of science out there um, explain when you should be worried when you shouldn't be worried what's normal what's abnormal and most importantly just dispel a whole lot of myths mm. so if I yes. can do that, I'm very very happy yeah and I guess that's where my passion stemmed from too because you know so many people look for answers and often they go to the wrong places yeah. so you're definitely providing that platform which is really helping so many parents during a really tough time um, but today I'm so excited because we are going to be covering everything to do with newborn nappies um, what is normal and what is abnormal and I guess we will also be busting some myths and you know really diving deep into all those different types of poos that these parents find so I cannot wait <laughs> this is one of the most common things that I get is um is parents sitting in my room saying do you mind if I show you photos of my child's nappy <laughs> I have parents who bring in nappies great here's a sample I brought in earlier it's a it's a wonderful part of my job yeah, honestly, I always say to patients when they're like, you know, there might be blood on me or something or poo, I'm like, girl, that's the least of my problems. Yeah. I pretty much had every bodily fluid on me now yeah. from work. So no concerns. We absolutely love photos. Um, but I guess as a midwife and I'm sure as a pediatrician, many parents often ask the question of, so how do I know if my baby is getting enough? And we both know that your baby's output is a really great way to tell if your baby is getting enough um, and it often does reflect their hydration status. So how do you educate the parents that you see on how to tell if their baby is getting enough? It's a really tough one because not only is it does it change, so mm -hmm. the answer at two days of life is very different to the answer at two weeks and the answer even at two years. Mm. The even more complicating matter is that it's not an exact science. And so we use all these surrogate markers in order to tell us whether or not that baby is probably getting enough. And even then, I say the word probably because it's a little bit of a guess. It's a little bit of an estimation. Mm. So in the first few days of life, 
we do look at wet nappies, although the kidneys of a baby don't really kick in until after day two. And so the amount of urine they produce is really, really minimal. And then thereafter, they, they make a huge dump of urine. And that's actually why newborns will drop weight in the first mm. few days of life, because they wee out so much. And that puffy face that they're born with commonly <laughs> tends to disappear. So the first couple of days, even urine output is not a wonderful measure. And then we look at other things like um, feed frequency. We look at the volume taken, if it's formula or express milk. We look at the mum in a breastfeeding scenario and say, do you feel that there's, that you know, your breasts are changing? Do you feel like there's a milk transfer? You, of course, would know this much better than me, <laughs> your work. Um, so there's lots of little things we use. And then we also use things like jaundice. If jaundice mm. is getting worse, that can be a sign that there is a degree of dehydration, um, cracked lips, tear production. But again, these things are, they're, they're sort of small contributing factors. They're not, there yeah. isn't one um, be all and end all measure. Um, and then after, I would say after a week, you can really start to put more emphasis on mm. nappies. And the one thing that I want to um, impress upon your listeners is that it's all about what's normal for your baby. Mm. So you've got some babies that will hold on to a big volume of urine and then do a big diuresis or a big wee and they might have X number of wheeze in a day compared to another baby who does very small volume, very frequent wheeze, the nappy is almost always wet. So mm. if you're worried about your baby being dehydrated in the setting of gastro or, or whatever it may be, think about what's normal for your baby and then answer the question about whether or not there is reduced output, reduced wet nappies. Mm. And that's 100% right because I feel like there's it's often not one factor, it's a bigger picture and I want to reiterate to everyone listening that every baby is different and although we're going to be speaking about a lot of the common things, sometimes what's common for one baby, it may not be that common for your baby and that's okay. But just having the knowledge behind you to make those informed decisions and um, have that education, it's so much more reassuring as a parent who, you know, has never done this before. Going back to you know, the baby's first week of life. I know you just roughly touched on that. During that time, parents have so many questions because we know that the baby's stools change. And for often parents, they are asking me so many questions saying, is this normal? Like, is my baby's poo supposed to be this greeny color or this black tarry color? So I want to ask you, during a baby's first week of life, what can parents expect their newborn's output to look like? Anything and everything, <laughs> and everything in between. <laughs> Literally. There's so much um, transition that happens. So, yeah. you know, the first poo that a baby will do, which is which is sometimes even before the baby's born, mm -hmm. um, but usually within the first day or two of life, is meconium, as we know, and that is that black, sticky, almost Vegemite kind of um, consistency, really hard to wipe off. Yeah. Um, sometimes it, it, it seems as if it doesn't stop. It just keeps on oozing. <laughs> like toothpaste. <laughs> Sorry, I'm giving horrible visuals, but we're talking poo, so we can yes. be a bit gross. I think um, people listening knew that it was going to be a bit graphic at times. Yes. And in my slogan, I say talking tits, bits, <laughs> poo and spew. So here we are covering the poo. <laughs> so you're going to see this black poo for a few days and um, 
we then we we literally see it what we call a transitional stool so we see the poo changing and it gets a little bit thicker it gets a little bit less frequent and it gets a little bit lighter and that's pretty much the last time that we expect to see really dark black almost tar looking poo mm -hmm. so in an older child or an adult if you see black poo uh, the one caveat is that sometimes if you're supplementing with iron in the setting mm. of iron deficiency, it can make the poo really, really dark. But if you're not, black poo is a real red flag because it means that there's probably um, blood in the poo and it's usually blood from higher up in the gastrointestinal tract, even from the stomach. And once mm. the um, blood from high up gets processed, it turns black. So that's a real red flag to know about in older children and in adults as well. But in the first few days of life, meconium is very dark, very black, very sticky, very frequent, and it really <laughs> it just has to completely wash out, and then it doesn't ever come back. Meconium never returns. And we transition over a few days into almost like a, a mustardy, light brown, yellow, uh, nutty kind of poo. People always say, parents remark to me, like, my child has not eaten any cashews. How is it possible? And and I, I can't explain it. It's really unusual, but it looks like nutty yeah. butter. And my advice to parents um, of young children is that don't be alarmed if the poo changes in colour from yellow to green to brown and everything in between. There's three colours that we do not like, and that's black, once the meconium has passed, white and red. Mm. And for anyone who's an AFL fan, those are the colours of St Kilda. So I just tell everyone we hate the St Kilda Football Club and then no one forgets it. <laughs> Hope there's not too many diehard St <laughs> Kilda fans listening now. <laughs> but those um, are the colours to really look out for. Um, and far more important than the colour is the consistency mm. and the frequency. So those are the those are the real things that I want to know about when I'm when I'm talking to a parent about potential constipation or gastrointestinal upset. Um, the frequency is a really important one as well. You know, a, a baby, a breastfed baby, can poo anywhere from seven times a day to once a week. So seven times a day to once every seven days. All of that is completely normal. And the same for formula-fed babies as well. The more important thing is whether or not there's discomfort with passing a poo and whether or not there is uh, hard, like, pellets. That's constipation and that needs to be managed. Mm. And I know we're going to get into a bit more specific later about breastfed versus formula-fed babies and the changes to their stools, um, but... Often as midwives in hospitals, educating parents over that first week of their newborn's life, because often they say, how many times should my baby wee in a day and how many times should my baby poo in a day? And we do follow that rule of, you know, day one, we'd expect one wet nappy, one dirty nappy, day two, two wet nappies, two dirty nappies, up until day five. Um, do you seem to follow that same rule as well? With a, I do. And I agree with that with a very big caveat that different is almost always normal. Yes. And you, and you can see the baby that does eight poos on day one and then <laughs> nothing for four days. And that's also completely normal. So again, like we talked about before, it's lots of little pieces put together to tell you whether or not this baby's happy and normal and developing fine. 
Yeah. I think that your um, description of one and one, two on two, three on three is a really nice uh, average and a really nice um, base point to move from. Yeah, it's often the easiest way for parents to remember roughly how many nappies their baby should be doing. And, you know, when I go and visit them at home, they have their little notepad, they've marked all down their wet and dirty nappies. I'm like, tick, 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 love it. You're doing a great job. But as you mentioned before, often the question is, but my baby was doing um, yellow poos yesterday and now it's gone back to more of that brownier, greeny sort of colour. Is this normal? And it is absolutely, as you mentioned. And generally speaking, um, the more green it is, it means the faster it's moving through the gastrointestinal tract. So if you, for example, are a breastfeeding mother whose baby always has mustard poo, and then one day at whatever it is, one month of age, there's a run of green, and it might be associated with a bit of unsettledness or something like that, probably something in your diet has just annoyed that tummy mm. and it's moved through quicker, caused a bit of cramping and discomfort, which is the manifestation that you're seeing in the child, and the green tells you, yep, that's moved through quickly. That's not an allergy. That's not uh, an intolerance. That just means that the body has just tried to get rid of it. So green usually means quick. It's not a problem if it's not causing problems for the baby but it's just good to understand why sometimes brown, why sometimes yellow and why sometimes green. Wow, I actually didn't know that. Green means go straight yes. through the digestive tract. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, of course, as a new or current parent, navigating what is normal versus what's normal can be really challenging and often parents do get extremely overwhelmed. Um, what are some of the most common abnormal nappies that you see and what exactly do those abnormalities represent? Um, by far, when you're talking about newborns, newborns, by far the most common uh, normal finding that scares parents is when they report blood in the nappy, Mm. day one, day two. Um, Now, that is almost never blood. Now, you certainly can have blood, uh, especially with female babies who are having um, withdrawal periods. That's a completely different topic. But the most common thing we see day one, day two, day three of life is where, like we said, the kidneys are not really working at full capacity yet. Um, the baby is, is you know, very dehydrated technically, not in, a, in an unwell way, mm. and they're just starting to create urine and, and produce it. Now, it comes out as a what we call brick red. It's that colour of like a, um, almost like an orangey red, not blood red, which is a bit more mm. um, darker and it it appears on the nappy. Now, if you take anyone, take me for example, if I don't drink enough, my urine goes darker. Now, if you put that on the extreme and you go, well, urine's normally sort of a tinge of yellow, don't drink a lot, it goes a bit orange. If you just keep on not drinking and you keep on dehydrating, you can imagine it gets darker and darker Mm. and darker and it approaches red. So that's called urate crystals, which is essentially extremely concentrated urine that gives the appearance of blood. So that's unbelievably common. And once the supply kicks in or the volume increases and the kidneys turn on, that disappears and seldom returns in most babies. That would be by far the most common 
concern, then when we move into beyond the first week of life, probably the most unrecognized abnormality is mucus. And everyone sent in questions talking about mucus and wanting to know exactly if mucus normal or is it abnormal in my baby's nappy? And more so, is it always a concern? It is absolutely abnormal. It is always abnormal. Is it always a concern? No. So mucus means that there is inflammation in that baby's gut. The more inflammation you get, the more mucus you produce. And if you keep on producing more and more inflammation, it eventually leads to blood. So the mild form of inflammation is where the poo comes out soft and there's almost a bit of shine to it. Mm. If you hold it up to the light, there's a little bit of reflectiveness to it. Then when you get more and more inflammation, it comes out as genuine mucus and what I ask parents who aren't sure whether this is or isn't mucus, I tell them, take the nappy, fold it together, and then open it. And if you see what I describe as almost like power lines between mm. the sides of the nappy, you can see there's like a gooiness or like a slime. That is mucus. And then the extreme form is streaks of blood mixed in with the mucus as well. So that's the spectrum of inflammation in a baby's gut. And this is due to intolerance. And I want to make a really important point here. It is not food allergy. It's food intolerance. Allergy is a completely different topic. And it's very commonly that the terms are used interchangeably. Cow milk protein intolerance, cow milk mm. protein allergy. And I really want to stop it. And, and it, it's a big problem because lots and lots of people use the, the word allergy even doctors, but it's wrong. And it makes mm. people think my child's allergic to something. Your child can't be allergic to breast milk. You can't have that, but you certainly can be intolerant. So allergy also has connotations about anaphylaxis and lifelong mm. allergy and all of this. We just don't need to talk about it because it doesn't exist. Let's talk mm. about intolerance because that is common and that is something we can fix really easily. And it's also something not to be terribly concerned about because babies grow out of this. So whether you're talking about a breastfed baby who is essentially eating what that mother is eating and drinking or a formula-fed baby who is going to be having, in a, in a standard average formula, will be having cow milk protein, the most common thing that a baby is intolerant to is cow milk protein. Another really common myth that I need to dispel is that we are not talking about lactose. So mm. do not mention lactose intolerance. This is That is extremely uncommon in babies. It happens, but it's really uncommon and it's unmissable. That's something that needs to be dealt with by a doctor and just I don't want people using that term, okay? And again, it's something that tends to stick with people for life and you say, oh, my child's lactose intolerant. No, mm. they were cow milk protein intolerant. Now, cow milk has got heaps of proteins. Lactose is one but there's heaps and heaps of other ones. Some of them, we don't even know the names of them. But if you are seeing a bit of shine, if you're seeing mucus and if you're seeing blood, the first thing I would do is switch to a non-cow milk formula or remove cow milk from that mother's diet. And in about 85% of cases, soy protein behaves the same way. It cross-reacts with the cow milk protein and you get the same result. 
So if you're a breastfeeding mother, I would cut out dairy and I wouldn't replace it with soy, replace it with almond milk or, or you know, some other oat milk or something like that. But remember, we aren't talking about allergy. Mm. So if someone's got a peanut allergy, they can't have even the tiniest bit of peanut. But if someone's got a lactose intolerance, they can have a bit of lactose, but just not too much. Mm. So when I tell mums, cut dairy out, I tell them still enjoy a piece of chocolate and you can still have butter on your toast and you can have small amounts here and there. And I don't want you reading labels. It's just don't drink milk, don't eat yogurt and don't have cheese. And remember, babies grow out of intolerances. So what you can't have today, you probably will be able to have in a month's time. Mm, that's so reassuring and I can't tell you how many times I've looked after people and they're saying oh my previous baby was lactose intolerant and you know probably because we just associate cow milk protein and lactose together that's right I guess if your baby starts to have these intolerances when could parents start to see that mucus form in the stools does it happen you know in the first week of life or months down the track or is every baby different Every baby is different, but it happens early. It's not going to mm-hmm. turn on suddenly at six weeks, having never been there before, as long as that mum hasn't drastically changed her diet. Mm-hmm. Um, what I see a lot in hospital is mums who don't eat their normal food. Mm. So if you're eating hospital food that's being brought to you, um, I, I will often walk into a room and see the tray there and mum's had a bowl of yogurt and a glass of milk. And I say, do you normally have that much dairy and they say oh no I don't have dairy at all it's just Mm. here so I'm having it so be conscious not to change your diet too much be avoid a heavy load of dairy in one day so if you know if you have a a yogurt for breakfast don't then have a milkshake at lunch and a pizza at dinner because it's (laughs) too much in one day yeah Um, but lots of little exposures is totally fine and by and large you're going to be seeing it in the first few weeks days Mm. to weeks of life yeah. And I always reiterate to parents that you're going to know your baby better than anyone. So if there's any concern or any change or abnormality to your baby's behavior or stools, you're going to pick it up and you're sure. going to act on that. that is and 100% that's what I right. always reinforce. And they're like, yes, okay, I will. Yes. <laughs> and then another common thing that we see in nappies and what people or parents describe is those frothy nappies. Mm. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, frothy nappies is most commonly due to lactose overload. Mm. Now, this is another one where you have to sort of be quite pedantic about the language you use and really understand the concept of lactose. Um, Let's talk about a scenario with an exclusively breastfed baby, okay? Uh, really at at any age. So it's in breast milk no matter how much lactose you consume. So if you are, for example, a mum who's lactose intolerant, who has zero cow's milk in your diet, there is still lactose in your breast milk Mm. regardless. So lactose comes in the foremilk. It comes in the very first part of the breast feed. And there is much less lactose in the hind milk, which is towards the end of the feed. So if you have a very unsettled baby who is feeding really frequently and in what I call a snack cycle, so they're having 
short frequent feeds, what they're doing is they're getting the four milk, the first part, then they're stopping, and then they're feeding again in an hour or two, and all they're getting is four milk again. They're actually never having a mm. big substantial meal and draining the hind milk. So if you're getting four milk after four milk after four milk, you're just getting an enormous lactose load. Mm. And it's not a lactose intolerance, it's a lactose overload. And that causes green, frothy, explosive, stinky poos that really burn the skin. So the the most common thing that, I mean, I can almost tell you what the the perineal area of a new of a young baby mm. will look like just based on asking mum how often she breastfeeds that baby. Because if the baby's unsettled, they're feeding frequently, I know they're getting too much lactose and the poos are going to be explosive. You're going to hear them down the corridor when they come mm. out. And uh, and that that is a real problem that is really quickly fixed by just changing the frequency of feeds. And obviously, how do you do that? Well, you remove the unsettled the cause for the unsettled behaviour in the first place. Yeah, that's so interesting because I guess as a midwife, we don't often, you know, we're sort of in a baby's life for that first week. We don't really see too much afterwards Mm. or if we do, it's like an hour visit and we know that sometimes you don't see everything exactly in that visit. So it's so interesting to know that that's a reason for it. Um, And you've sort of already touched on it the blood in the stool um, and we've identified that as to be an immediate concern and what would your recommendation be for a parent that notice, notices that their baby has blood in the stool? Look, I think if there's blood in the stool, it, it needs to be seen by a doctor um, without question. Uh, I can tell you the most common causes of that and that they are not terribly um serious and they're easily preventable no long-term damage done but it's Mm. still something that needs to be seen by a doctor because there are other causes of blood in the poo and we don't want to miss them but what we were referring to before in terms of of, uh, protein intolerance i generally tell people and and there isn't science behind this it's just anecdote that it takes about 48 hours to wash a food out of a mother Mm. 48 hours to wash it out of a baby so if that mum is having whatever it is that's triggering the inflammation, call it uh, egg, um, then, and they notice blood, then I would say stop eating the egg, wait a couple of days for it to get out of your system, and then a couple more days to get out of baby's system, and the blood should stop. Yeah. Now, a few days of mucus and blood in a baby's poo is not the end of the world, and as long as it's resolving, the baby will recover fine. And often it's not actually associated with much unsettled behavior because you don't have such a huge degree of pain from that inflammation. So most of the time it's linked to the diet. And, you know, we talked about cow milk being the most common cause of an intolerance. The second most common being soy. And then there's daylight before a few other potential causes. And they are rice, corn, egg, and then gluten. And then a whole bunch of other ones that you sometimes only can determine with a bit of a food diary or a personal reflection. But often when you get into that stage, um, it becomes a bit more complicated. You really want to get a doctor involved. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think rule of thumb is if you're ever concerned, just seek help early and no one is going to judge you for doing that. We will be right back after this short ad break. Now, there has been a lot of talk about the importance of monitoring your baby's output and for some parents, that can seem a little stressful when you're so caught up with caring for your newborn baby. Well, thankfully, with Tushy's Eco Nappies, they have been designed with a wetness indicator to help ease parents' stress by identifying if their baby is wet. Not only that, but these nappies have also been designed with extra strong tabs to ensure that these nappies stay put and that there are no unexpected Punami surprises. So get your hands on some of these nappies and head to www.tushies.com.au or visit your local supermarket or chemist. Time to get straight back into more nappy talk. Last thing that I wanted to touch on, I know you mentioned that with newborns, especially female newborns, they can experience what we say a pseudo period. A lot of parents come out or buzz their buzzer and go, my, my baby's like, there's blood in the nappy. And it's not like those urates that we spoke about before, but can you explain a little bit more, I guess, about those pseudo periods? Absolutely. So to, under, to understand it fully, you have to appreciate that you've got a adult female with adult female hormones going through her body. And then you've got a mini human <laughs> with all of those hormones going through that human's body, which is way too much for such a small baby. And that's why babies are always born with exaggerated sex characteristics. So you've got boys being born with what we call gynecomastia, breast tissue. You can sometimes feel under the mm. nipples of babies, you can feel breast tissue, um, enormous scrotums, girls born with, with very, very swollen labia. And you just think like that just looks so abnormal. I mean, I've read of um, case reports where babies are born and they are assumed to be boys. And it's mm. actually a clitoris that is yeah. so enlarged with clitoromegaly from this hormone exposure that someone actually thought it was a penis. So, mm. and, and the labia they thought was a scrotum. So you can really have a distorted um, genitalia from this, these hormones, but it's nothing to worry about because now that you've cut the cord and the hormones are not being supplied anymore, it all just settles, but it takes weeks and weeks for this to settle. Um, remember that hormones that go through a breastfeeding mother's body will go through the baby's body as well. So before we even talk about periods, you've got prolactin going through a mum that's telling her to make breast milk. Well, babies can also make breast milk. Yes. It's known as witch's milk, but you do not be alarmed if you see little white deposits in the nipples of your baby because they are also producing their own breast milk. It, it can be quite a a mind explosion when you realize oh my god i and my baby are both lactating <laughs> but it's really really common and in fact babies can get mastitis as well mm. that's a real problem um which needs to be addressed medically but it just paints the picture for the role of hormones now yeah why do women get periods it's when you have a um, progesterone 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 and then it stops and when you stop that the lining of the uterus is shed that's how the yeah oral contraceptive pill works when you take the sugar pills and you stop the progesterone then the uterus sheds well this baby girl has had progesterone supplied to them for nine months and then all of a sudden 
the progesterone is withdrawn. So it's a withdrawal bleed, just the mm -hmm. same reason that makes an older person have a bleed and shed the lining of their uterus, the same thing happens to baby girls. So it is really confronting and scary when you see mm -hmm. it. Um, but when you understand why it happens, then you realize that it's completely normal, it's healthy, and it's something that stops and doesn't continue. Yeah, and I think related to that is also like discharge. Little girls can have discharge and it's the exact same concept, but often parents are like, oh, is this normal? I'm not sure. Like it yeah. looks like she's got some discharge. I say, yeah. absolutely. It's related to your hormones um, and the same concept that you were just explaining. But for first-time parents that have never gone through it, it can be extremely confronting. That's right. And also for boys, boys don't get off scot-free. Um, and this is a little <laughs> bit more commonly seen in older um, babies, you know, when we're talking about months and months plus. Um, I see lots of babies that are referred for um, deposits underneath the foreskin. Mm. Now, these almost feel like um, pieces of hard rice that are fixed to the head of, head of the penis or the shaft um, hidden by the foreskin. And then as you get separation of the foreskin, they, they um, become visible and they're white. Now that is um, their smegma deposits. So as the foreskin separates from the head with a baby, which can happen at varying rates and speed and ages, you get a little bit of, of inflammation, a little bit of cells arise and, and that's just coalesces to create smegma. So when you when we do we often do see these deposits that are hidden and caught under there and parents who are trying to squeeze them or, or get them out or mm. worry that they might be something concerning it's often i mean again it should be looked at to be confirmed that they are smegma deposits but it's common and it's totally not concerning mm. so rule of thumb don't do anything to them leave them and Absolutely. get them checked never attract a foreskin yeah. And you've covered a lot of what my next question is going to be about when parents should be concerned about their baby's output. And we've mentioned many red flags. Um, but if parents do notice a decreased output in their newborns, what can that reflect and what should they do? Um, look, output frequency decreases over time as bladder capacity increases. So a four-month-old can hold a store a lot more urine than a four-week-old, mm. so there is a natural decrease. But what you're, I think, what you're referring to is a sudden change that you notice in your baby's normal. Yes. And really, it's a it's an almost direct correlation between fluid in and fluid out. So it most commonly represents a degree of dehydration, which is not always concerning but mm -hmm. it's something that you really want to watch and keep an eye on and understand why. So if you have a baby who, you know, if it's a particularly hot day, they're a bit sweaty um, and they're, you know, they're losing fluid elsewhere and so their urine um, production reduces, it might be a little sign to you, you know what, I might just add a couple of feeds today or my baby normally sleeps through the night, but it's, you know, it's been 40 degrees all day, it's hot, I'm just going to add in a feed overnight mm. just to really up their hydration that's a really simple um, calm way of responding to reduced output and if it's happening in the setting of a baby who's lethargic really not feeding well um, showing other signs of infection or illness then you you really want to get that dealt with as soon as possible 
for midwives that are, you know, seeing your babies at home, that's often what we're looking for, looking at how many times parents are feeding within a 24-hour period, how long their baby's feeding for, how many wet and dirty nappies this baby's having and whether or not they're showing us signs of lethargy or jaundice or if there's any immediate concerns for their baby. Um, But parents, be reassured, you'll be in close watch for that first couple of weeks and maternal child health nurses will come and visit you as your baby grows. That's right. And hydration is an unbelievably important thing for us. It's Mm. our measure of how worried am I about this baby? Mm. Um, you know, we there's a lot of talk about fontanelles in babies, yes. the soft spot on the top of the head. It's called the pediatrician's handshake. When we just, <laughs> as soon as we see a baby, we touch their fontanelle. We can't help it. <laughs> I just did the same thing touching mine, although it doesn't really <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> exactly, and and the reason for that is because we can we can glean a whole lot of information that sort of tells us, do we need to move fast here, or mm. do we have time? And if, you know, if you've got a baby, what, what can we tell from a fontanelle? We can tell the hydration status. We have a good idea of the blood pressure and we can almost always um, realise the pulse as well. Mm. So um, if you've got a very dehydrated baby, you're going to see that in the fontanelle. Um, but it's something that, that I tell parents, let us use it. I don't want yeah. parents to use it. Often people will you know, call me and say, my baby's got a sunken fontanelle. Well you know, lay that baby down, all of a sudden the fontanelle is is full again because it's got a lot mm. to do with pressure and gravity as well. So it's the whole picture. It's what's happening with wet nappies, um, what's happening with feeding, what's normal, what's happening now, uh, are there any other symptoms, what's happening with the fontanelle, and then there's lots of other examination findings that we use to assess a baby's hydration but it is absolutely the most important thing that we look at when we're, when we're wondering, is this baby mm. well or unwell? Yeah, and it goes back to if you're concerned, just go and seek help. Don't try and do these investigations yourself because, as you mentioned, a parent that's never touched a baby's fontanelle before or seen a sunken fontanelle, they're not really going to know what is abnormal. It's yeah. just like women that get those handheld Dopplers and listen to their baby's heart rate at home you don't actually know what is normal versus what's not. So best to leave the investigations to the experts and seek help if you need them. And also I think more commonly and therefore arguably more importantly, don't be alarmed Mm. if you see something that your baby's completely fine. So, you know, lace-like skin is, is a really late sign of severe dehydration. And it's, mm. it's really, really bad when you see that in, in the setting of an, a very desperately unwell baby. But cutis marmorata is unbelievably common. And seeing that lace-like pattern on a baby who's absolutely healthy and normal is something you can just completely forget about. So yeah. sometimes um, parents worry when they see something, but remember to always take it in the context And if in doubt, as you said perfectly, seek help and seek it early. Yeah. And there often is so many different factors contributing to um, what the baby's going through and we look at all of those things. Um, And we're close to the end of this episode and one of the questions that so many people ask, especially when they're starting to wean their baby and introduce formula, um, is how can a baby's output change from being breastfed to being formula fed? 
Well, volume-wise, I don't expect an enormous change. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of poos, there is almost always a bit of a change when you transition anything. So when you transition from one formula to another, or from breast to mix, or from mix to exclusive formula, and then again when you introduce solids, and then when you introduce a different solid, it can change again. <laughs> As a general rule of thumb, which is a generalization, but, but very, very, very common, a, a, an exclusively breastfed baby is almost never constipated. Um, Formula-fed babies can get constipated and they can also not get constipated. So you can have either. And generally speaking, I would not be concerned of a change in bowel habit if you have made a change to your diet as a breastfeeding mother or to their mm. intake as a mix or formula fed baby or when you introduce solids. And as you said perfectly before, every single baby is different. Mm. So what I mean by that is banana can be unbelievably constipating for some babies and it can be a softener for other babies. So you learn and you know most parents are so um 100 aware aware of what their child is eating it's not mm. like they're going out on a play date at six months of age and god knows what they're <laughs> having you know what they're eating and you can yeah. tell very quickly wow every single time they touch pumpkin they get miserable they get constipated well hold off on the pumpkin for a few weeks mm. Yeah, absolutely. And mothers and fathers, they're so in tune with their baby and Correct. their bodies. Like you 100% know what's going on. And I always say to parents, back yourself in, you know, how many parents have done this? You are going to be okay, but people are here to help if you need any help. Absolutely right. Often a question that I get is more so later on when mums introduce formula is, how often would you expect a formula-fed baby to poo? I don't care. <laughs> and that's what I, love I want. That. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I want, I want you not to care. I don't mm. care about frequency. Um, if you're talking about a baby who is a few weeks old and you've shifted them over to formula, and the frequency changes. I care about consistency and I care yeah. about what the baby has to do to get the poo out. So if that baby is completely happy and they fill a nappy to end all nappies once a week and it's soft, no problem. Even mm -hmm. though they're pooing once a week, once every eight days, if they're completely happy with it, it makes no difference at all. If they're pooing four times a day and it sounds like a great frequency, but they're pooing rabbit pellets, and they're straining mm. to get every single one out, then that's not okay. So the question is really common. I absolutely agree with you, but I would say remind parents that it's not about the yeah. frequency unless you're talking about an extreme, like a baby who hasn't pooed for two weeks. It's about what comes out, the consistency, the content. That's what I want to know, um, and don't be... Don't fret about whether it's four or five times a day or once a week. One mm -hmm. thing I will say is a lot of parents will um, talk about a pooey nappy when it's not actually a pooey nappy. So a smear of poo, like a discoloured nappy, I wouldn't call that a bowel action. No. And that I call that a skitty. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. I find that that happens most commonly mm. with babies who fart a lot. And as the gas goes past liquid yeah. in the bowel, it sort of picks up a few drops of liquid and just sprays out the way a spray can would work. And that would tell me, no, that baby's not pooing too much. I'm more concerned about the fact that that baby is farting too much. My next mm. question is, are they burped enough? Mm. It just highlights that there's such a range um, of contributing factors to how our baby poos and wheezes and how often. So I'm so grateful that you've shared all this knowledge that parents can use that information and then ask themselves those questions to then make the right decision rather than get themselves all worked up. It's just so reassuring to hear you speak so calmly and I'm sure a lot of parents are going to be extremely grateful for all your tips today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I have one last question for you before we get into our rapid fire questions. What is your favourite tip for parents during a nappy change? Or what is your most helpful tip? Sorry. Ah, um, prepare. <laughs> yeah, don't 100%. <laughs> don't arrive at a nappy change without everything that you're going to need and also don't assume that you're not going to need a new onesie. Um, because, yeah. because the exposure to cold when you take a nappy off often results in uh, a bowel action or a wee and that can often mean that you are staining the onesie that you've just taken off yeah and then when you're trying to get another onesie from the cupboard while your baby's on the change table or from your bag or from the car you just run into trouble so over prepare have a spare onesie there have two nappies have lots of wipes <laughs> and have a lot of time okay yes um, yeah. when you're ready to, and just remember that you know yes your baby might be crying and they don't want to mm. be in a pooey nappy but it's not going to cause major Calm to wait another 30 seconds or a minute just for you to be calm and relaxed and do a nappy change and the crying will turn off very quickly anyway yeah um so have everything spare so preparation is key um i always like to have the new nappy placed before so before you take off the dirty nappy yeah I put the clean one down and ready to go and then i take off and clean the dirty one and when you take that out, you've already got the new nappy ready to go. And when it comes to boys, just watch the direction that you're <laughs> pointing because you, you only get peed in the yeah. face once and then you'll never let it happen again. A hundred percent. And often for males, we say point the penis down in the nappy because otherwise they might wee all over themselves. Yes. But one thing I say to parents is sometimes when you're wiping your baby's bottom, that actually can stimulate them yep. to keep going and do more poos that you often almost get caught off guard because it shoots at you. But it's really, really normal. You're not a real parent if you haven't been pooed on. I know. There's got to be some sort of Poonami explosion. <laughs> um, we going on the wall, on you, and poo everywhere. And and be prepared that once you've done the nappy change and, like, that baby is pristine clean and the one's gorgeous <laughs> and you've done your spottle and everything's ready and you've tied it up and you're finished and you're exhausted, you then hear the next explosion. It's a guarantee. So do not yeah. be disheartened when that happens. Straight away, it's just like, yep. <laughs> that's not too graphic. <laughs> and I would also say, um, just as a side point, 
um, don't always be in such a hurry to change mm. nappy. If your baby doesn't have any uh, skin irritation or diaper dermatitis, diaper rash, mm. if they're fast asleep and you can smell or, or hear a dirty nappy, you know that they're probably going to wake up in 20 minutes or half an hour. Just leave them. Yeah. Listen 100%. to your baby. Your baby will tell you, I need to be changed. I'm not comfortable. Or your baby might be telling you, I'm totally fine and I can sit with this for half an hour. Just go have a rest. Yeah. And you parents deserve the rest. Definitely. Absolutely. And also my last tip for parents is um, – Pay attention to the nappy. There's often, I know in the Tushy's nappies, there's an indicator of the urine um, which will turn a different colour when the urine meets that. And often it's such a helpful tip for parents just to look at that and go, okay, my baby has done a wee. But I always say look at the nappy, all of it, rather than just the outside too. Yeah, it's really handy, these markers, because I remember when I was changing my kids, we didn't have these this technology and um, mm. you have to sort of like you're diffusing a bomb you want to try <laughs> to sneak a finger into through the onesie unzip slightly put it into yeah. the nappy and yes you're you're dipping your finger in what turns out to oh. be a dirty nappy but you do it because you just want to make sure so these indicators are really helpful yeah all right, we're moving into our rapid fire. I think we've covered a lot of these, so I'm sure there'll be quick answers. Um, this is what the audience, our audience sent in to my question box over Instagram. And first question, is 12 plus wet slash pooey nappies for my three-week-old in a day a lot? I feel like I'm nonstop changing nappies. The first thing will come to my mind is what is, again, what is the consistency? What's coming out? Are they genuine mm. poos or are they just sprays? Um, are you feeding too frequently lactose overload is an issue and possibly changing when you don't necessarily need to change so mm. I wish I could give an answer yes or no but there's a whole lot more to it as we've just talked about for the last hour there's lots of little, <laughs> yeah. little bits of information that come into that um, I don't think a baby would necessarily need to be changed that often it sounds like too often and I'd start to look can we problem solve here mm, yeah good advice question two my newborn is mixed feeding her poos are really watery after formula is this normal uh again what's your definition of watery versus my definition of watery yeah um baby poo is very loose and often it, it you're coming to it when it's been sitting in an environment with urine as well Mm. So sometimes the urine actually dilutes the poo and makes it look like diarrhea. Mm. So it's it's not an easy one to answer. But obviously, as the parent, you're getting multiple opportunities to look at poo and change nappies. And so you, you will quickly learn what is diarrhea, what is um, just soft poo. But generally speaking, poo that's like the consistency of soft serve is not watery. That's completely fine. And I'd be then looking at other things um, you know, is the baby unwell? Does the baby have a temperature? Are we seeing early signs of dehydration to then answer that question? Yeah. Number three, ever since gastro three weeks ago, my newborn my newborn's poo has remained very foul smelling. What should I do? Um, it, whenever you have a degree of inflammation in the gut, whether caused by something you've eaten or from a gastro bug, that gut becomes um, a, 
temporarily immature and you can get very commonly after a bout of gastro this happens to at, throughout the entire lifespan of, of a human mm. you get what we call a transient lactose intolerance so i would be wondering if that gut just needs two or three weeks to settle yeah and i would try to reduce the lactose load um there are some babies where clinically we might um, put a pause on breastfeeding to stop the lactose going in or continue breastfeeding and add an enzyme that breaks down the lactose. So you can get lactase, uh, sorry, lactase drops, which is a brand of lactase, which is the enzyme that chops down lactose. Mm -hmm. That's the enzyme your gut is struggling to produce. So that also works for a lot of babies. Interesting. Um, question four, green poos at two weeks. Is this an issue? What could be lacking to get to mustard? No, not an issue at all. Yeah, I feel like we certainly covered that earlier on in more detail. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say anything from spinach to nutty butter, totally fine. <laughs> we said it would be graphic. It's <laughs> continued to be graphic the whole time. Um, six months poops, what's normal help? Uh, by this age, well and truly on solids, so you can expect the poo to slow down in frequency. Um, not always get constipation, but it is possible. And mm. just remember, you're introducing things that this gut has not seen before. So there's going to be yeah. a transition period. There will be change. And again, if you're seeing anything from yellow, green, brown, and everything in between, do not worry. The consistency is the most important thing. And always treat very seriously black, red, white. <laughs> I was going to say, let's bring back the St. Kilda colours. <laughs> And last question, four to five month old, are poo explosions every few days normal? Yeah, that's that baby that poos less frequently, but when they do, they do it with gusto. And <laughs> you just want to um, make sure, like I said, you're well prepared that it's going to fill a nappy. You might need to double nappy or go up on the nappy size. And, you know, mm. common sense will prevail with that particular baby, um, but it is absolutely not a concern. Yeah, make sure your tabs are out as well so that yes. everything is caught in. Sometimes when those tabs around the nappy are tucked in, it often doesn't provide that barrier for those punami explosions. Correct. Well, Dr. Golly, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Once again, we said it would be graphic, but <laughs> I hope that <laughs> I'm sure that everyone has got so much more value from it. And the graphics are good when it's just an audio podcast anyway, lots of descriptive words, but you have been such a wealth of knowledge and I've even learned so much. So I'm sure everyone else has. Thank you for having me. It's, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can. Bye.